Welcome to a new Clip for Chance broadcast where our experts discuss the main topics and trends facing the business world today. My name is Isabel Palacios and I am an associate in the employment department in the Madrid office. Today I will be speaking to Juan Carvente, head of the employment department, and Estaina Fernandez, senior associate of the same department, about some key employment-related issues that have arisen in the context of the coronavirus crisis in Spain. As the pandemic spread, some measures were adopted in the month of March. With the declaration of the state of emergency on 14th of March, which included a lockdown of the population, the closure of numerous establishments, and severe restrictions on movement of people. However, it must be noted that movement for labor professional reasons was not restricted, even though many companies immediately adopted measures to stop the propagation of the virus, establishing a remote working regime for those employees whose duties were compatible with it. On the 17th of March, Argent legislation was passed, establishing the preference for remote working, although not in particularly perceived terms. So the nature of this remote working regime is the first issue I would like to address today. Being a measure designed to protect employees' health as part of the employer's general risk prevention function or understanding is that it was a mandatory measure, provided that it was viable. Over the last few months, we have received several inquiries from our clients as to whether it is obligatory to maintain the remote working regime in those cases in which the companies have already been teleworking for a period of two or three months and have considered that with the worst of the crisis behind us, the proper conduct of business made a return to normal working conditions advisable. One, uh, in the current context, with the state of emergency having ended on 21st of June, social life returning to normal with the lifting of the restrictions on movement imposed, um, how would you summarize the current situation? How should we interpret the remote working regime included in the legislation passed during the health crisis? Hello, Isabel. Many thanks. Well, under general labor legislation, remote working is considered an option that requires an agreement in writing between the two parties, the company and the employee. And as such, it is an option that is voluntary for the employee. However, the extraordinary legislation that you mentioned stated that uh, as a measure aimed at containing the pandemic, it was mandatory for companies to establish systems of organization according to which business activity could be maintained, but by alternative mechanisms, particularly in the form of remote working. With the company being obliged to adopt the appropriate measures, if this was reasonable, technically possible, and if the effort involved was proportionate. So, as you quite right say, Isabel, due this connection between the measure of teleworking and the contention of the virus as part of the employer's duty to ensure protection from working-related risks, our understanding is that in this exceptional situation, teleworking uh, has become mandatory for those companies that could apply it, and that the companies can therefore make it mandatory for the employees. 
the question is that the extraordinary legislation mentioned above uh, has been generating confusion in the following months. Uh, and it is not clear if this main measure is mandatory or how long teleworking should be considered mandatory for companies uh, in cases where it is possible to, to implement it. For example, on the 21st of April, a new legal provision was added according to which the regulations on teleworking mentioned earlier would remain in force until three months after the state of emergency has ended, uh, which is the, until the 21st of September. And uh, does this mean that extraordinary legal provisions on remote working remains in force? Uh, well, on the 9th of June, new legislation was enacted regulating a series of measures that it sh that should be maintained in order to address the coronavirus crisis after the end of the state of emergency and until the health crisis is deemed to be over. This legislation, in force since the 21st of June, states with regard to workplaces that companies must adopt measures for the progressive return to work post on site and enhance the use of teleworking when the nature of the labor activity makes it possible. Therefore, our understanding is that at least since the 21st of June, there is a legal cover for companies to decide on measures for returning to on-site work in workplaces. Although this return has to meet certain requirements, it must be a progressive gradual return, taking particular care with more vulnerable people. It must be in line with the criteria of the prevention services according to risk assessments, prevention plans, and protocols specifically adopted for this new situation a new risk of contagion in the workplace. Furthermore, the employee representatives must be involved. Some justification for the change of criterion is advisable, so to move from teleworking to on-site work would have to be explained due to organizational or production-related grounds or because of the functionality and efficiency of the business so that it is reasonable to discontinue remote working in those cases where it was maintained for a time when the pandemic was at its worst. Account will have to be taking of employees' rights to conciliation and adaptation of their working conditions, which have been strengthened in this crisis. And, in addition, we must not forget that there is still an obligation to enhance teleworking so combining it with on-site working to the extent possible, at least until the health crisis has been completely overcome. And in this regard, it is important to remind them as an essential principle for the prevention of risks at work. Actions by employers in this area must be aimed to avoid the risk. And only if this cannot be avoided, then measures of prevention and protection must be adopted. Therefore, regardless of whether or not teleworking is mandatory for companies, the truth is that a change of criterion that involves moving from teleworking to on-site working 
entails replacing a measure that was completely effective in terms of avoiding the risk to another measure in which the risk is no longer avoided, although it can and it may be minimized with the adoption of preventive measures and obviously in the context of a reduced expansion of the virus. In conclusion, if after a decision to return to the office, there are contagions at the workplace, and if it can be concluded that this circumstance took place in a working environment, then the company could have to assume legal responsibility for any damage to the health of its employees. And this makes it advisable to act with the utmost caution and vigilance regarding observance of all the preventive measures possible at workplaces, while still maintaining a certain margin for teleworking. That's true, Juan, and what is more, we have to take into account also the chance of the current government, which is preventing, preparing a new legislation in relation to remote working, considering the experience acquired during the crisis. I would venture uh, that in this post-COVID environment, uh, remote working will be a major component of those labor activities that allow it, and uh, such new legislation will take this social change into account. Um, it is to be expected that the impending legislation will address and regulate issues such as the assumption of certain expenses by companies, the prevention of occupational risks at the employees' homes, control or monitoring of labor activity, the right to disconnect, uh, flexible working hours, and due compliance with the rules on recording working time, among many other issues. Um, meanwhile, and going back to the issue of the return to on-site work, and the risk you mentioned one, it seems clear that the adoption of prevention and protection measures in the workplace will be of major importance. In this regard, even though they are not measures that the current legislation requires to be adopted in a labor context, many companies are considering it, and indeed, some are already taking action, such as taking employees' temperature and performing regular tests. Irina, uh, these actions affect sensitive data protection aspects. Can we conclude that companies can validly adapt such measures and in what conditions and on what grounds? Hi, Isabel. As far as that data protection is concerned, the Spanish Data Protection Agency has already addressed the issue of temperature screening and it has said that processing of these employees' data by companies would be lawful on the basis of compliance with a legal obligation, this obligation being the prevention of occupational hazards. In other words, the health and safety regulations. In our view, the same legal basis would apply to testing. However, the Spanish agency is very strict when it comes to the conditions that must be met in order for screening or testing to be carried out. It is important to note that before implementing each specific measure, the company must examine whether the principle of proportionality is respected and must comply with all data protection obligations. 
For instance, it would be relevant to prepare a detailed impact assessment and deliver information in advance to employees. By the way, just a few days ago, the Spanish agency issued a notice stating that asking candidates in a recruitment process to provide a certificate proving they have antibodies against COVID is a practice that clearly infringes data protection rules. And on the other hand, from a labor perspective, we have to take into account Article 22 of the Occupational Hazard Prevention Act. According to this article, health monitoring, like medical checkups, is voluntary for the employee. Nevertheless, there is an exception. Undergoing a medical checkup shall be compulsory when otherwise the employee's health status would represent a risk for him or herself, for other employees, or for other persons related to the company. As one can note, in theory, this exception could be applicable in certain jobs in view of the current health crisis. But again, it is necessary to analyze whether it is justified or not in a particular case. And by the way, it requires consultation with the employee's representatives. Thank you, Asaina. Um, this is all in addition to the specific preventive measures that have been adopted in the context of the health crisis. The rule that Juan mentioned related to the duty of companies to adopt a variety of measures. These include measures affecting ventilation, cleaning, personal hygiene, and disinfection according to established protocols, the duty to adapt working conditions, arranging workstations, and even adjusting working shifts to ensure the safety distance of 1.5 meters between people or the use of personal protective equipment, this is face masks, but this cannot be ensured. The law also states, for example, that companies must adopt measures to avoid large numbers of people, either employees or clients, congregating in those time slots where traffic is greatest, which implies the possibility of adapting entry and exit times in the case of shift work, for example. Um, this then affects the regulation of working hours and is bound to give rise to controversy with the employee legal representative with whom it will be necessary to have a fluid dialogue. And to conclude, Efraina, I think it may be of interest to briefly summarize the potential liabilities that a company could face in the event of a contagion in the workplace. Sure. In the case of a contagion in the workplace, those employees affected could request that their infection be classed for all purposes as an occupational accident. This means the standard liabilities associated with occupational accidents would apply. In particular, we can mention the following. First of all, any indemnification established in the collective bargaining agreement. Second, Social security surcharges, which are applied when the employer has failed to comply with applicable health and safety rules, and as a result, there has been a harm to the employee's health. This is a percentage surcharge between 30% and 50% levied on the amount of the social security benefit to which the injured employee is entitled, the surcharge being paid at the expense of the company, of course. Third, potential fines imposed by the Labor and Social Security Inspectorate. Also, we should mention a risk of a charge of offenses against employees, but the criminal offense is a very remote risk here. This would apply just for very serious cases in terms of negligence on the part of the employer. And finally, the most likely is liability for damages, a damages claim. 
In this regard, it may be a good idea to review insurance policies and analyze whether or not this contingency is covered. Keep in mind that some accidents will involve just a few weeks of sick leave for quarantine, but others, unfortunately, may cause death or leave after effects, of which we can't know the full extent at present. It could be pulmonary, neurological, vascular, and in this regard, the degree of liability is also very uncertain. As you see, Isabel, it is of the utmost importance to ensure that in the return to office-based work, companies implement all due protection and prevention measures. Okay, thank you, Efaima. Thank you, Juan. And thank you very much to the audience for sharing your time with us. You've been listening to a Clifford Chance podcast. We remain at your disposal for any query that you may have. 